Now, as we're opening God's Word this morning, as I, as I indicated in our prayer time, the passage that we're looking at today is going to be kind of challenging, as if last week's wasn't, by the way. Um, go ahead and open your Bibles up to the book of Acts. We are here in Acts chapter 8, uh, and as we are digging in, we have been looking through the book of Acts, and we've been seeing that God has been working through the early church ever since Jesus ascended and went back to heaven, uh, that, he has, that the disciples, the apostles now, they've been shifted from disciples to apostles. Now they had been called out, and now they were taking the gospel around. We notice that it now has moved out of Jerusalem, where they had started and where the church had gotten going. There was a persecution that broke out, and now they have had to spread out into Judea and into Samaria. Now, last week, we noticed that there was a guy named Philip. This is not Philip the apostle. This is Philip the deacon, just a lay leader in the church that God has now sent out to the area of Samaria, and he had been preaching the gospel. And as we ended up last week, we saw that it was bringing great joy to the city. Now, as we're diving in this morning, I want to ask you to seriously contemplate a question with me today. And I cannot... Uh, this is not hyperbole for me to tell you that this is one of the most important questions that you can wrestle with today. I think all of us, especially because we're here at church this morning, would say that we want God to work in our lives. We all want that at some level. But let me ask you this. Why do you want God to work in your life? Now, don't answer too quickly. As you're looking at this, I want you to really wrestle with it. If you were with us last week and we talked about God working through us to to preach through our pain, why do you want him to work through us? Why do you want him to do that? If you're honest this morning, my question for you is, is it out of a heart of genuine faith? Or is it something else? See, over the next two weeks, what we're going to be looking at is as Philip preached, there were two different folks that the the text focuses on who responded to Philip's message. One responded with a fake faith. He was a guy named Simon. The other is a guy that we only know as the Ethiopian official or the Ethiopian eunuch. So as we're looking this morning, here's my, my challenge for us today. We're going to be looking at fake faith this week, and Lord willing, next week, we'll look at the faith that the Ethiopian eunuch showed that was a genuine saving faith. Now, here's my challenge. As we're looking at this this morning, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to look into your heart, to be honest with him. I don't care if you've been in church your entire life. I don't care how many services you've been to. I don't care what roles or positions you've held in the church. What I want to ask you today is, is your faith genuine? See, here's what we'll find about fake faith this morning. We're going to break it out into four different points, but basically what we're going to see about fake faith is that fake faith is all about the eyes, where genuine faith is all about the heart. So this week, we're going to see this guy named Simon and how his fake faith was all about the eyes. Next week, we'll see the the Ethiopian official and how his faith was a genuine heart response. So now, it's going to be a little bit of a longer passage, but I want to read the whole thing so we can get the whole story, and then we'll come back and we'll take it apart piece by piece, okay? Start with me in Acts chapter 8, verse 9. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. By the way, there's going to be a lot in this that may seem kind of weird. It's okay. We're going to go back and we're going to explain it. So if you're new to Christianity or new to this passage or whatever, we're going to take some time to go back and look at it. So, so it's cool. Just go with us, okay? 
Verse 10, they all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest. And they said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. Now, it looks like he's a believer, doesn't it? He even got baptized. He's following the apostles around. Keep reading. Verse 14, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he'd not yet come on any of them. They'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we'll talk about that in a second. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Look at Peter's words. But Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter, because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you've said may happen to me. So then after they testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now, this is a weird passage. Can we go ahead and acknowledge that and own the fact that this is unusual? There's things in here that are different to us, that are a little bit foreign to us. So as we walk through this passage, what I want to draw out for you is four markers of a fake faith. Four things that indicate to us that we may not have a genuine faith, and we're going to see that out of the life of this guy named Simon, okay? The first thing about fake faith is that fake faith loves to be seen. It loves to be seen. From the very beginning, we see that Simon is clearly a man who loves to be recognized. Look back again at verse 9. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan's people while claiming to be somebody great. This man in the ancient world was a magician. Now, that wasn't necessarily a David Copperfield or a Chris Angel kind of thing. In those days, it means he would have done everything from tricks to science to math to rituals that we would say are occultic. It couldn't be a wide variety of everything from sleight of hand all the way through occultic rituals. There may have even been some demonic powers that he could draw from to impress and scare the people of Samaria. You say, well, that's old-fashioned superstitious stuff. No, it's not. We don't have time to get into it right now. Um, but there is an enemy, he is active, he is working, and he can work through people sometimes, okay? It could be that Simon was one of those guys who had traded his soul basically for that. He had earned a nickname, the great power of God. Now, can you imagine if I came in next week and was like, hey, guys, uh, I just want you to know, you guys need to start calling me the great power of God. You don't have to call me pastor anymore. Just call me the great power of God right? This guy obviously has a big head. He's got a pride issue here. That nickname, by the way, meant that either people thought he was God or was at the very least possessed by a God. They they had the idea that that he had some divine power in him that wasn't just like we would say the power that we have through the Holy Spirit. Actually, this guy, like he, they thought he was like a demigod almost, okay? Now, are you getting the picture of the pride that this guy has been used to having? 
In fact, early church traditions indicate that Simon went on to start a, a branch of the Christian heresy called Gnosticism, okay? Now, you don't ever have to know about Gnosticism, really. Um, it's one of the earliest heresies that developed in the church. One of the biggest things they had to fight for the first few hundred years was this idea of Gnosticism, and it may trace itself back to this dude, okay? This guy loved to be seen. Verse 11 tells us that he used to wow the crowds with his tricks and his knowledge, and they ate it up. From the greatest to the least, that all of that attention would have fed his pride, puffing him up and making him want it all the more. Now, all of these verses that we've been reading so far take place before he supposedly got saved, but we see the same characteristics in his encounter later in the chapter, right? When, when he sees Peter doing these mighty things, he decides, hey, I want in on that action. Because, see, the way this worked was these sorcerers, these magicians, they would often sell each other tricks. You know, if I, if I know how to do this, I'll sell you the ability to be able to do it. I'll, I'll tell you the secret, I'll, or I'll sell you the ritual, the incantation, the whatever it is that lets this thing happen. So Simon says, hey, look, I want in on this thing. I see these people, they probably were speaking in tongues when they received the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that in a minute. But they see God coming on people in a big way, and Simon says, I want a piece of that. He has this desire to be seen. That's one of the keys of of faith that is not genuine. Guys, listen, we all struggle with a desire for recognition at times. Uh, To one degree or another, uh, we all have this desire to be seen by other people, to have other people affirm what we're doing. But a person whose faith is not genuine, genuine will predominantly do what they do so that others will see. It's what we've talked about before with the word pride. In the English language, pride has five letters in it. What's the one in the middle? I. Pride is putting I in the middle. I know it's bad grammar, but it works, right? It's making things all about I, about me, about my life. So Simon was all about the externals. He was all about what he could do in pride. He had fame, he had notoriety, and it made him feel important. Whether he actually believed he was a God or not, he was acting like he thought he was. And he wasn't submitting to God's word and trying to honor him. Instead, he was trying to show how special he was. Now, do you remember what Jesus said about that when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount last year? Matthew chapter 6, he says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So here's a challenge for you. How do you feel when you do something for the Lord and nobody acknowledges that you did it? How do you feel when you went beyond what you were supposed to do, you sacrificed, you served in some way, and nobody said thanks, and nobody noticed, and nobody, how do you respond to that? Now, all of us, again, struggle with affirmation at times. But if that throws you in the pit of despair, if you get despondent and say, well, it's not worth it following Jesus because I did this good thing and nobody saw it, nobody cared about it, nobody noticed it, then go to the garden and eat worms, Right? If that's your heart reaction, then you need to take a good hard look. Because, see, that's a mark of a fake faith. 
Again, genuine believers may struggle with this from time to time, but that's a red flag. If you're doing this so that you'll, other people will see how good you are, if you want to serve in this role, if you want to, to do this at the church, or you want folks to know how much you give, or if you, you know, and guys, I know that not everybody's heart is motivated incorrectly when we do things like that, but that's why if you'll notice, there's no plaques on anything in this building. Because if God leads you to give something, we hope that God leads you to give it to the Lord not for your notoriety, not because this is my pew that I paid for with my money. See, that can be an indication of a faith that's not genuine. Again, we all struggle, but it's a major red flag. Simon had that desire to be seen. Is that you? So let me ask you again, why do you want God to work in your life? Is it because you've seen somebody else that God's worked in their life and everybody loves them and everybody talks about how good they are and how much they enjoy being around them and you want to be like that? You want that same notoriety. You want that preeminence. You want to have people respect you. Is it because you love to be seen? Be careful because that sounds like a fake faith. You need to seriously examine your heart. You may have that same heart as Simon the Magician, a heart that wants notoriety more than you want God to be made famous. I was telling Mike Montgomery the other night about a talk that I heard one time. I went to Liberty, and we had chapel all the time, you know, and there was only one chapel service out of all of my time at Liberty that I remember. The guy's first name, I think, was Mike. I don't remember his last name, and that's appropriate. Because he stood up, he worked for Word of Life, I I don't know. He stood up, and he was talking, and he said, one of the the markers that you need to settle in your heart if God's calling you to serve him, is that you could serve God faithfully every single day of your life and die and have no one remember your name. And that's a life well lived. Are you willing to do that? Are are you willing to serve in obscurity? I've told you before about my friend, Pastor Manyanga, serving in the backside of Zimbabwe. He will never be invited to speak on the platform at a conference where he's getting paid $10,000 to give an address. He's never going to write a book that's on the New York Times bestsellers list. But he's faithfully serving in a difficult area in the backside of the world where most people will never know his name. That's a genuine faith. Willing to serve in obscurity with nobody to see. So fake faith loves to be seen. It just makes sense then the second thing that we see is that fake faith focuses on the outside. It focuses on the outside. Look at verses 12 and 13 again. When they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed, and after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. Now, if this was all we had of Simon's life, we would think that he was saved. If the story stopped here, that would, would seem like he believed in who, he, in who Jesus was. Here's the thing. We've talked about this before, guys, but I cannot make this clear enough to you. Knowing facts in your head is not the same as believing in Christ. Okay? In case you got any question about that, James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one. That's one of the key tenets that God had taught his people, that, that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Like, do you get it that like Satan is actually a better theologian than you and I will ever be? He knows God better than I do. 
Now he's twisted it, he misunderstands it, he misinterprets it and thinks that he could do a better job. But he knows who Jesus is. He knows who the Holy Spirit is and how he works. He knows all that's true about sin and death and suffering better than you and I do. But he isn't saved, is he? I've told you before and I will tell you again, one of my greatest fears as a pastor is that someone would sit under my teaching week after week after week for year after year after year and never genuinely place their trust in Christ. That you'd get filled up with head knowledge. You might even take extra classes and teach a small group and do all of these kind of things, but have never genuinely let that truth impact your heart. That's what happened with Simon. He knew the facts. He saw it going on, but he never understood it. We've said it before, the illustration that we believe that Abraham Lincoln really existed, right? I mean, I believe he was a real person. There's a big statue of him in D.C. I've been up there and seen it. I believe he did some great things for our nation. But you know what? I'm not trusting Abraham Lincoln to do anything for me today, right? I know facts about him. I, I believe that those things are true. And in the same way, you may know facts about Jesus, You may know that he came and died in your place and was raised from the dead so that you could have new life. And you say, that's great. I'm gonna impress God then with how good I can be and that'll be enough to get God to let me into heaven. And the reality is fake faith that focuses on the externals of what can be seen and what we can do cannot save as we'll see as we get down this way. Focusing on the outside doesn't work. He may have believed that God had power, but Simon failed to see his personal need for Christ. He even went so far as to be baptized. He followed Philip around, but none of it impacted his heart. See, religious actions that aren't based on repentance cannot save. I don't care how much you give. I don't care how involved you are. If that's not coming out of a heart that has repented of your sin and placed your your trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, then it does not matter. You're like the Pharisees. Matthew said, in Matthew 23, Jesus said this about the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, guys, as I say this, I'm looking out at a room of people I dearly love and care about. I can't convict you, and I don't want to make you question your faith if you're genuinely saved, but I want you to be sure not because you've done X, Y, and Z, but because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. If you're just focusing on the outside, trying to make yourself right by doing good things, you cannot be saved that way. You're not good enough. You never will be. You never have been. Fake faith tries to do all kinds of outward activities, never allowing Jesus to transform the heart. It wants to be seen, so it does everything possible on the outside without ever letting it affect the heart. Maybe a desire to be seen by others or even a desire to impress God with how good you can be. Either way, it's not sincere faith because sincere faith understands I have nothing I can impress God with. 
So all I can do is surrender and ask for forgiveness and mercy. Sincere faith says, God, when I look at you and I look at me, the gap is so big, I know that there's no way I could ever make this right. And so I trust in the fact that you died for me so that I could be saved, so that I could be ransomed. I'm surrendering everything I have and laying everything I am down at your feet, trusting that you're gonna take care of it because that's all I can do. That's a genuine faith. Without true repentance, though, you're living in a fake faith and it's all about you. Now, since fake faith doesn't genuinely transform a person, it doesn't have a true part in what God's doing. That's why, just like with Simon, we see number three, that fake faith watches from a distance. It watches from a distance. Look down at verse 14. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit. They go on, they lay their hands on them, they receive the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Now, let's take a few minutes and talk about what's going on here. If you remember back to the very beginning when we talked about the book of Acts, we mentioned this is a transition period in the church. We're going from the old covenant to the new covenant and seeing how that plays itself out. In Acts chapter 2, you have the story of the the Holy Spirit coming on the church, right? The Holy Spirit came on the church in Jerusalem. It was made up of all Jewish believers at this point. Now we're seeing that the Holy Spirit is starting to work as it goes out from Jerusalem now into Samaria. Remember last week we talked about the fact that that a full-blooded Jew regarded a Samaritan as a half-blooded, compromised individual. They looked down on them. They didn't believe that they were as righteous or as worthy as they were. And so here's what God's doing. When the gospel comes to the Samaritans for the very first time and they put their faith and trust in Christ, they don't receive the Holy Spirit right away. Why? Because what God was doing was taking Peter and John as the apostles who'd been a part of the very beginning of the founding of it all and taking them out and allowing them to be the ones that see the Holy Spirit come on the Samaritan believers just like they had the believers in Jerusalem. So what God's doing is he's proving just like he saved the Jews, he's also saving the Samaritans. And then we're going to see later on that he does the same thing with the Gentile believers as well. So what he's doing is he's teaching these Jews, it's not just about the Jews, it's not just about the Samaritans, it's not just about anybody, it's that God through Jesus is saving the entire world in the same way through a saving faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's what God's doing here. So as we go through that, here's what we need to remember. This is not the case now. Now the gospel has gone throughout the whole world. We've seen God give the Holy Spirit to Jews, to Samaritans, and to Gentiles when we get further into Acts. So now that means at the moment that a person places their faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, they receive the Holy Spirit. That's clear out of the book of Romans. If you've got questions about that, we can talk about that later. So this is something that's happening as the gospel is going forward into the different regions, as God's taking it from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's gone to the ends of the earth now. So for us, we don't have to worry about whether it's not a second blessing, it's not a second experience. When you're saved, you receive all of the Holy Spirit that you ever gonna have, which means right now, if you have placed your trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, you have full access to all of the divine power that anybody ever has, which is pretty incredible. 
But now, with that established and that kind of understanding about what's going on here, what's the deal about watching from a distance? Well, notice, go back to what Simon said, verse 18. When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. That's interesting. It doesn't say when Simon received the Holy Spirit, he asked how he could get that gift. He was watching it from the outside. There's no indication that as the Holy Spirit came on the Samaritan believers, that it came on Simon. See, he wasn't a part of this. He wasn't included in it. He's been shadowing Philip. He's been trying to learn some of Philip's tricks is what you're starting to see here. I mean, can you imagine how much money you could make if you could manipulate the Spirit of God and give people God's power? Can can you imagine how lucrative it would be to be able to bottle and sell the Spirit of God? As he is on the outside, he didn't take part of it. All he could do was watch and observe He wanted to use it. He wanted it for his notoriety. See, that's the thing about fake faith. Since it's all about the eyes, all it can do is watch from the outside. Do you ever wonder what the big fuss is about? Y'all know I cry all the time. It's just, it's life. Daniel does it too, okay? There are certain songs, whenever I see them in the, in the planning center stuff, whenever I see them, I'm like, yep, oh, he's not making it through that one. You don't have to be as emotional as me or Daniel. But do you ever sit back and go, what's he crying about? Why? What's the big deal? That's a fake faith. That's watching from the outside that doesn't get it. Usually, you want to get Daniel crying, you start singing about heaven. About the fact that there will be a day when with all of this pain and all of this heartache and everything we've gone through, there's going to be a day when either I close my eyes in death and open them in his presence, or there's a day when he's coming back for me. Either way, I get to go see him one way or the other. If that doesn't stir your heart at some level, and I'm going to say, you don't have to be a crier like me. But if that doesn't stir your heart and you're like, well, yeah, okay, whatever, you need to check your heart. This is the greatest news in the history of the world. Like, we we talk about it so much, I I get worried that sometimes you're almost inoculated against the truth of the gospel, right? You know, you've you've got the, the gospel vaccine. You've given just enough of it that you don't feel it anymore. You don't get impacted by it anymore. Listen, guys. You were dead, but God loved you so much that he died in your place and rose from the dead so that you could have new life, not because you were good enough. In fact, you were the exact opposite. You were an enemy of God. You chose to rebel against the God who made you, who shaped you, who created you, yet he loved you so much that he would die in your place. If you can sit there completely unaffected by that message, then there is something drastically wrong. If I pushed you out of the way of a moving car and saved your life from you getting hit and run over, I would expect you would have some kind of gratitude towards me, right? Unless your heart's broken, you're going to have some kind of gratitude towards the person who saves your life. 
much more the one who saved you from eternity, separated from God, dealing with the mess that you created in your own sin. God who loved you so much to ransom and rescue you. Simon didn't get that. He was watching from a distance and said, I want that power. But see, here's the thing. As you look at that, Paul said, if you're here and you don't have a genuine faith in Christ, this is not going to make sense to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 said, but the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it's evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who's known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. See, guys, you can't, it's not going to make sense. Why would you sell everything and move to Zimbabwe to take the gospel? Because there's a God in heaven that they need to know about. Why would you go across your neighbor and have that awkward conversation where you talk to them about Jesus? Because they need to know him. We don't just watch from a distance. So if, if you feel like, and guys, I want to be careful using the word feel. Because there's days when you don't feel saved. And that's part of it. There's days when you feel distant from God. But if that's been kind of like your whole life, that's a real extended season for you, you need to look. Am I genuinely saved? Have I actually put my trust in Jesus or have I just faked it for the last 40 years? See, loves to be seen, focuses on the outside, watches from a distance, and ultimately the last thing we see is it cannot save. It cannot save. We've said it over and over again, guys, but, but look. Look at verse 20 again. Peter told him, by the way, this is where we know that he wasn't saved. Listen to the language Peter uses. May your silver be destroyed with you. By the way, um, pardon the strength of this phrase, but it could be more accurately rendered to hell with your silver. Is actually a more accurate rendering of what Paul, or Peter says there. May your silver be destroyed with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Are you you hearing this? Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours. Pray to the Lord that if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. That idea there when he says be destroyed, that's related to the same word we see in John 3.16 that's translated perish. In fact, I think the King James said, your silver perish with you. He said, you have no part or share in this. You're, you're not a part of this. You're looking from the outside. You're not in. He says, your heart is not right before God, and he calls them to repent of this wickedness. Now, as believers, we know that we live a life of ongoing repentance, but this phrase, the way it's specifically used, is most often used of lost people, not believers. Repent of this wickedness, when you find it in Scripture, is most frequently pointed at those who do not have a saving relationship with Christ. He says, you're poisoned by bitterness. This is pulling up imagery from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29, 18 says, Be sure that no man, woman, clan, or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord your God to go and worship the gods of these nations. Be sure there is no root among you bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. He said, you're not running after the God of the Bible. You're running after the God of yourself. You're running after something completely different, and your life is full of bitterness. And he says, pray that your heart's intent may be forgiven. 
By the way, Simon's response doesn't give us a lot of hope, does it? Look at verse 24. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you've said may happen to me. You see that? Peter just said, look, man, pray and repent of this and ask God to forgive you. And he says, man, you pray for me. The proper response there would have been, Peter, you're absolutely right. God, forgive me. But see, he had this fake faith that can't save. Instead of calling out to God in brokenness and repentance, he asks Peter to pray that his punishments will just go away. He looked like for a season that he had it all together. He went through the motions, but his heart had never changed. It was all about the eyes, making outward changes so that everyone will love you or respect you or think that you're special. But inwardly, he was completely lost. Look at me for just a second. Fake faith cannot save. I love you so much that I want you to clearly hear a fake faith that is not built on a life of repentance and a surrender to Christ cannot save you, period. Oh, pastor, I'm fine. Just pray for me. Good Lord knows my heart. I hate it when I hear somebody say that. One of the challenges about living in the South, like we do, is everybody's a Christian, right? Everybody's a grandma prayed for them. Everybody grew up going to church. That's not it, guys. If there has never been the time in your life where you have surrendered to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, said, God, I can't do this, then I don't care how long you've been in church, I don't care what you've done. That is a fake faith. It's been about your pride. You're focusing on the outside, never letting Jesus work on the inside. You know it and I know it. You've been watching from a distance and it cannot save you. So here's what I want to do today. I want you to go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes. Now next week we'll see what genuine saving faith looks like more clearly as we see the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. This morning, we've talked about it, though. Genuine faith surrenders from a heart level and says, God, I'm crying out to you. I can't do this on my own, and I need you to save me, to draw me to yourself. I need you. So here's what I want us to do this morning. Looking around the room, it looks like You can easily get out and get down here if you need to talk to me. But I want to give you a moment to allow God to move in your heart so you can answer the question, why do I want God to work in my life? Is it so other people will see? Or is it because I believe that there's a God in heaven who I want to surrender and follow and honor? If you realize this morning that you're feeling convicted that you may not actually be saved, you can settle that today. Whether you're at home watching online or whether you're in here, you simply just need to call out to God and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you to forgive me. I need you to save me. I want to surrender and follow you. There's no magic incantation. There's no 
entrance fee, simply surrendering and saying, God, I can't do this. And I know that Jesus died for me. So you can do that where you are, where you're seated right now. You don't need me. By the way, if you're here this morning and you're feeling uncomfortable about this, keep in mind, I didn't mention anybody by name. I can't convict you. So if, that's, if you're feeling that conviction this morning, that's the Holy Spirit of God working in your heart to draw you to himself. The song that Daniel's going to be singing, old hymn, it says, Jesus is calling us softly and tenderly. Would you respond to him today?